You're listening to an IOE podcast from the UCL Institute of Education at University College London. The IOE was saddened to hear of the passing of Gunther Kress, Professor of Semiotics and Education, on June 20th, 2019. A widely regarded academic, linguist, semiotician and social theorist, Professor Kress was a pioneer of critical linguistics, critical discourse analysis and social semiotics. In this 2011 interview, Professor Kress spoke about the kind of role semiotics and education can play when it comes to making meaning. He's joined by Sophia Diamanatopoulou, a student at the time of recording and currently a senior teaching fellow at the UCL Centre for Applied Linguistics. Um, in fact, I came here as Professor of English, um, which led at times to peculiar exchanges when I came back from outside England into mm-hmm. the UK and people said, and what do you do, sir? And I said, I'm, uh, I teach at the University of London. What do you teach? English. And they looked at my passport, which said Australian, born in Germany. But <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And maybe that's quite important that um, my background is um, of somebody who's learned one culture and one language Mm. and moved to another place and learned another language and another culture. And then I suppose uh, that relation of um, language and culture uh, became my professional interest in a particular way. Namely not here's culture and here's language, Mm -hmm. but really that these things are ultimately and intricately connected Mm -hmm. um, and then exploring what that connection is like. But at the same time, and that uh, became a longer term interest of mine, Um, going away from what had been a kind of a common sense in the West, namely that um, it's through language that we understand culture. Right. How did it all start with social semiotics and your engagement with that field? Um, My first academic um, um, experience was as having a degree in English literature, um, then moving to an interest in linguistics, the study of language as a phenomenon, Um, And then a dissatisfaction with um, maybe language or linguistics not giving you a full insight into what meaning was about. Um, Looking then, for instance, when I shifted jobs from um, teaching linguistics to teaching um, Mm -hmm. cultural studies, um, looking at images um, and thinking of images not just as decorative and um, as other kinds of things that there are, but uh, maybe if you saw an advertisement which was mainly image, and had hardly any language, beginning to think that we need to rethink Mm -hmm. uh, the significance of language um, if we're thinking about meaning. And then, of course, the discipline which deals with that is not linguistics, but Mm -hmm. semiotics, which says um, we're interested in all those things through which we make meaning or through which we um, engage with meaning or experience meaning. Right, and uh, moving on to another field, the field of multimodality. Your name is mainly associated <laughs> with the development of multimodality yeah. and uh, its links to discourse analysis. So there's another interesting story there, how you move from your interest in language yeah. actually yeah. shifted to engaging with the diversity of modes. One of my teachers, in fact, I did a degree, a postgraduate degree at University College, not all that far from here, and um, my teacher was Michael Halliday. And Michael Halliday had done his PhD on Chinese. Now, Chinese is actually different to English <laughs> in lots of ways. And most of the grammars that we deal with um, 
uh, written by Europeans uh, mm -hmm. in relation to European languages, but he read a grammar um, which was based on Chinese. And a distinctive thing about Chinese is that its script system is very different to its, um, the spoken version. Mm. Um, so for him, um, he treated speech and writing as quite distinct uh, ways of making meaning. And that gave me the first kind of insight uh, that we can't just sort of talk blandly about language as such, but we mm. need to be specific. And so from that notion of being specific, um, then also, as I mentioned, this yeah. interest, uh, once I became interested in media and advertising and cultural studies, this interest not only in, in writing and then in speaking as different kinds of things, mm. but also in image um, as contributing to meaning, um, music as a means of making meaning, and so suddenly you realize that language is enormously important and only mm. one way in which we make meaning. If you then begin to look at um, how we make meaning, for instance at the moment I'm gesturing a bit, mm -hmm. um, you say, well, what is the gesture supplying that my speech isn't supplying, or my yeah. facial expressions? Um, and then you're beginning to say, language does a part of the work of making meaning, a gesture does another part, or image in a, a textbook or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then you begin to see um, that really you have a rich orchestration mm -hmm. of meaning. So it's a kind of invitation to look for meaning elsewhere, be beyond language, looking at there. It's an invitation to um, look at meaning where it is. Mm. Um, and in relation to education, of course, it becomes really important yeah. because education has for a long time um, looked at language and um, so a, m a lot of research over mm. decades has assumed that if we understand what happens in mm -hmm. speech in classrooms, we will understand what happens in yeah. terms of teaching and learning. And that uh, multimodality would say, well, that's a very, very partial um, impression. Gunter, you bring in diversity of resources from the fields of semiotics, uh, linguistics, mm. um, multimodality, discourse analysis. How, how have all this shaped your engagement with learning mm -hmm. and education mm -hmm. when you moved to the Institute of Education several mm -hmm. years ago? Mm. Well, I came to um, the field of education quite late. I came here as um, Professor English. Um, but because I came as an outsider, mm -hmm. um, I looked at English and I thought, well, actually, what is the subject English doing in the English national curriculum? Mm -hmm. um, it isn't only teaching young people something about um, the great works of literature, yeah. um, and it isn't only teaching them to uh, construct um, sentences and maybe paragraphs and texts, but it's also, um, one hopes, enabling them to act uh, fully um, in the communicational world mm -hmm. that they will be entering. Yeah. Your work place a lot, places a lot of emphasis on the interests of the learners, mm -hmm. on the agency mm -hmm. of the learner, mm -hmm. and on the concept of recognition, recognizing mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. learner's production, mm -hmm. the learner's engagement mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the world, mm -hmm. which has a lot of implications for the development of pedagogies today. Absolutely. Would you like mm -hmm. to talk a little bit about yes. this and how this interest yeah. emerged, your interest, My interest in that emerged, emerged. Yes. Well, if, if you link it um, on the one hand to um, the fact that um, you might be in an MA class with 26 students and, or 20 students and 26 languages, it would be important to recognize the wealth of um, thinking, the wealth of experience, the wealth of different kinds of things which are brought in there, and to give recognition to it. Now, of course, if you teach something around language or literacy or writing, it's fantastically interesting to say to somebody who comes from mainland China uh, and to talk about the, a script system which is totally unlike an alphabetic uh, script system. 
and where the alphabet isn't a transcription of how the language is spoken, but it's a completely separate parallel kind of system that enriches um, the, the class, it enriches the experience of everybody in the class, but only if you give recognition to it, if you say, look, isn't that fantastic? Right, and these shifts of power you referred to are mm. quite significant. Mm. And I was wondering whether these would characterise more particular parts of the Western world, maybe, especially mm. in terms of education, mm. and how one would perceive these coming from different cultures, whether different mm -hmm. uh, research mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. practices, mm -hmm. um, different education paradigms. Mm -hmm. And this encounter with the new, mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. would it be? And from your experience, how has it been for international students in particular? Well, Sophia, you yourself know that coming from Greece, um, the experience of a child in a Greek school is different mm. uh, even now to the experience of a child in a school in London. Mm -hmm. um, so even within Europe, um, there are massive differences. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we are a kind of laboratory yeah. um, in, in London um, in which these things have to be kind of... Globalisation mm -hmm. is experienced every day um, in every classroom here at the Institute mm -hmm. and everybody who participates is part of an experiment yeah. um, mm. in working that out. Over the year you've worked with hundreds of students who've come yeah. here for postgraduate degrees, yeah. either an MA, an yeah. MPhil or, or a PhD. Mm -hmm. And um, most of these students come from literally all over the world. Yes. I was wondering what your experience has been of that and what have you learned as a supervisor from meeting the new, meeting the other, kind of uh, other research practices yeah. or completely different um, well, viewpoints. Yeah, I counted the other day and I think I've had nearly 60 people doing PhDs with me. That's quite a lot. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned some very simple things um, which re are really, really important, namely to, to listen very carefully. Um, and um, because we've had yeah. been in that relation, yeah. um, I think I know differently to you, of course, mm. as much about what you do yeah. as you know, a yeah. different kind of mm. knowing. And that sense of somebody comes into your room and you know what that person's interests are, where they're at in there. So mm. that's an that's yeah. important mm. bit of learning, yeah. uh, which I didn't have before. Yeah. But what I've also learned is precisely this, that uh, every person who comes here comes with a sort of a big bag of riches. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. a big bag of jewels and um, which which they bring yeah. and um, you can you can benefit from that if you are willing to sort of look when they lay it out yeah. and, and look oh this is uh, and yeah. and learn that's I think what I've mm. learned um, and also um, that everyone who comes here has as much to give as um, I could possibly give thank you very much well, um, 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 <laughs> can I say thank yes. you to you for uh, <laughs> very, very thought-provoking uh, thought -provoking questions. Mm, it's been an honour. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for downloading and listening to this IOE podcast. You can find more audio stories from the IOE on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast and on your favourite podcasting platform. UCR Minds brings together the knowledge, insights and ideas of our community through a wide range of events and activities that are open to everyone.